uh, you know, in college or school or high school or whatever, uh, you're sitting around with a bunch of friends and they're talking, they're talking about how their day was and uh, they're talking about whatever they're talking about. And that question comes up and they say, hey, did you study for that test tomorrow? And that feeling that you get when you say, we have a test tomorrow, I got all that feeling right about now. So about 12.30 yesterday, Tom was like, hey, you're up. And so it was like, all right, let's do this. And so that, that, that whole feeling that, you know, put in your stomach, what test, what class are you even talking about kind of thing, um, that's about where I'm at right now. So just bear with me. But God's word is true. And uh, my, my, my mission this morning is to just show us that truth. So everybody, I hope everyone had a fantastic Christmas. You spent that with family and, and friends. Uh, it seemed like yesterday I put my tree up and then we got to take it down. I may not just take it down. It looks really pretty, so I may just leave it up. Um, but as we transition into 2021, uh, I know all of us could, could, could have a, a probably a very long list of some things we would probably like to leave in, in 2020. Uh, probably all of us would, 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 the top of that list and uh, the second, third, and fourth thing on that list would probably all be uh, this virus, or it might be some sort of pain that you've experienced this year, some sort of heartache that you've had this year, some sort of hurt in your life, or, or some sort of conflict that happened in your life, something that you'd probably want to leave in 2020. I mean, we kind of see this, this, this kind of what we, so we want to kind of set ourselves up for the future. I mean, you kind of see this process everywhere, this whole setting yourself up for the future. What I mean by that is, um, so I was actually talking to Kenny about this a, a little while ago. I'm in a band with my brother and a couple other of our friends. And so uh, we travel playing like, you know, youth camps and, and kids camps and D-Nows and stuff. We travel a good bit across the southeastern United States. And a few summers ago, um, we were traveling. We were going, uh, we had spent a week in, uh, at Gardner-Webb University in North Carolina. And I was going to have to come home uh, to take at the church I was serving at to take our students to summer camp. That's what I wanted to do. That's what we. That's, that's the plan. And so, but my the guys were supposed to stay in North Carolina for another week. So it's like, well, you know, we all drove up there. We all lugged our stuff up there. And so we were either going to have to, you know, take another. I'd make one of those guys probably my brother because he's you know I mean, he, I'm telling me what I want to. Um, I was going to make him drive back from North Carolina back to Alabama and then back North Carolina again. I was like, you know what? I'll just I'll just fly. Like it's no big deal but I'd never flown before. And I was 21 years old and, never, and had never flown before. And I'm, all, I'm not a big, if you remember back in driving church, I told you a story about uh, me on a roller coaster ride. And so those kind of things, like those are just not my forte. I don't know if it's me being a big person or like not liking control or whatever, but I just don't do, a lot of movement in tiny spaces really freaks me out. Like it just does. Um, I see some head nods like, okay, so I'm not the only person who feels that way. And so I was kind of freaking out. I was like, okay, well, I've got to fly and okay, it's going to make me nervous and I'm going to get a little scared. And so my personality, when I get, you know, freaked out and nervous and scared, I get like all the hypothetical, like worst case scenarios. And so when I do that, I get incredibly impatient. And so I'm going to do like the most ridiculous thing. And so I was like, oh, you know what? So if I'm going to fly and I'm going to have to fly back when the guys are in Virginia after North Carolina, so I have to fly from uh, North Carolina to Birmingham, be there for a week and then fly to Birmingham back to Virginia. I was like, I'm just, I'll just buy all the plane tickets. It'll be fine. And I was like, but what if the plane crashes? And then what if this happens? And what if that happens? So I said, you know what? I got it covered. I'll go get a life insurance policy. So that's what I went and did. I, at 21 years old, I went and got a life insurance policy because I was freaked out because I was like, well, you know, if something worst case scenario happens, Jesse's going to have a little cash and it's going to be fine. Um, 
it's, so we got a life insurance policy and, and constantly through that process, you hear that phrase, setting yourself up for the future. You know, when you, when you do retirement or a 401k, what are you doing? You're setting yourself up for the future. And so when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about in 2021, how can we set ourselves up for 2021? Now, again, we could have preached this message in the 2019 and you're like, oh man, setting ourselves up for the future. 2020 is going to be the year. And then we're here like now. And it's like, that is not how that worked out. That is not how we expected this to go. But I want us in Philippians to check out some things about how we can maybe set ourselves up for the future. And you think about, again, this process of setting ourselves up for the future. We see this everywhere. You know, Auburn figured out their coaching thing this past week, and I'm not an Auburn fan, but coaches and those kind of things get fired every day. Why? Because the people in charge think the future will look brighter with somebody else. When you're figuring out your career about what you're going to do and, and, and what, you're gonna, how, what your job will be and things like that, like you think about what career will give you the best future. Whether you want a bunch of money, which let me just start right here. If you're going to be a pastor in the ministry, this one's not for you. But whether we want a lot of money or if you want a lot of time off or, or if you want to help people, you want good benefits or good retirement or, or, or whatever, uh, whatever our future goals are, that's how we determine our steps. And it's like, and in certain times, it's kind of what we think about. We're like, man, if we think about the future, what if I can just get to tomorrow? If I can just get to next week or next month or next year or in the future, it will be better. And I believe that no matter what anybody's age is, that applies to everybody. We always want a better future. I mean, as you grow older and you have kids and grandkids, what do you want? You want a better future for your kids and grandkids. I hear often you, you want to say, I want my kids and my grandkids to have it better than I did. I've heard that throughout my life. We want there to be more peace and more joy and have better jobs and all those things in our lives. I mean, you never hear anybody say, hey, you know what I want next year in 2020 or 2021? I hope my life is a lot more difficult than it was this year. Like nobody says that. Like that's not, that's not how it goes. Nobody says, you know what? You know what, 2021, you know what I have, Glenn? Hope I have less money than I did this year. Like that's not a thing. Nobody says that. You don't, talk, you, you don't ask for more stress and you don't hope that your car breaks down and you don't hope that your house falls apart and all those things. You, you don't hope that your relationships are tougher. Like again, what's the whole point of, reti- point of retirement? Like you work hard to set yourself up for the future so you can have grandkids and go buy them all the toys and stuff. Like that's what retirement is. We all wanna know the steps to a great future. And most importantly, as believers, I hope that we would want a future that produces more Christ-likeness in our lives. At least that's what I hope that you would want. And so this kind of, this, this few verses in Philippians can kind of give us a few things that can help us set up, set ourselves up for the future. In this passage, Paul is actually addressing several things within the church at Philippi. And I believe we should take these truths and this counsel that Paul offers and apply these things to our lives. And so Paul starts this passage doing something that I think few of us probably do a great job of. Uh, and this is not even really, like, this is just the intro to part. But Paul, but Paul opens up and says, hey, you know what, church, friends, I love you guys. So let me just say, the, like, as Matt, let me just take a second. Church, friends, I love you guys. Paul says it, so I, I feel like I say it. Um, it's important to tell people you love them. That's, just, that's free. You can take that home and, and use that at your, at your Christmas parties today, even if you don't like them. Thank you. Look at that. I appreciate that. But his first thing that he says, he kind of sets us up for the future is Paul says, stand firm in the Lord. He says that in verse one. Paul here is urging the believers to, the believers at Philippi to remain steadfast in 
Christ. Paul is using some military imagery here. Uh, Pastor Tom's talked about this before. The, there was, uh, Philippi was a, a, a kind of a big, it was kind of a, a military base kind of place. They, had a, they were really influential in Philippi, the military was. There was a lot of military families there. And so this idea of stand firm is when all the, all the soldiers in the armies would come together and bring, their, bring their, their shields and stuff together and they would hold fast, they would hold their ground. And that's kind of what Paul is saying here. He's saying to stand unmoved against the enemy. Paul is trying to give us the same instructions about standing firm like you would in the military, but it's not to stand firm in your stubbornness or in your ideas or or in your opinions, but Paul says stand firm in Christ. Meaning that as believers, as Christ followers, we need to saturate our lives with the word of God. So that no matter what trial or, or, or what thing the enemy brings your way in this next coming year, we can stand firm and stand grounded, unwavering. Uh, Paul gives the same reference, gives the same turn of phrase about standing firm in the very in the chapter one of Philippians, verses 27 to 28. Paul says this, Paul says, just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am I absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. Paul says this stand firm phrase multiple times in Philippians. Why? Because it is so vital to the life of a believer and the church. What Paul is wanting us to see is that the church must not be weakened by false doctrine or by weak doctrine or by wrong values. A step towards a great future for our church, for the church as a whole, for your family, for your life is to stand firm in the Lord. And then Paul brings up a specific problem within the church that I would agree that that, that has existed with every congregation since then. And it's the problem of not being unified in the church. And so the second step, Paul says, his first one, he says, stand firm. And the second thing he says, he says, be unified. Paul tells that this, this he gives this example and, and, and kind of talks, addresses this problem that's been brought to him about these two ladies. Paul tells us these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, that based on the text, they have some sort of dispute that has become so big that it made it all the way to Paul in this letter. Uh, a person that I read his commentary about this kind of said this, and I'm going to kind of sum it up. He says, he says essentially, all throughout history, you know, this, script, this text is thousands of years old. This is the only time that we hear these two ladies, Euodia and Syndicate, in Scripture. And guess what they're known for? From now until the, the end of time, guess what they're known for? Having some sort of argument. Like again, what, what would your like if you want to set yourself up for a future and like if you were written down in some historical document somewhere, what do you want to be known for? Like you did all these good things or, or you gave this amount of money or you, you, you served all these people or you knew this much or you had this discovery, but no, not Uodi and Syndicate. They might've been awesome believers and I hope that they are. And Paul says that he's done great ministry with them, but what are they known for in Philippians? They're known for arguing, for not having union between them. And so church, my fear is that in 50 or 20 or 25 years or whatever, that we are going to look back at the church as a whole, not necessarily North Glencoe, but look at the church as a global body and remember that there are a lot of scenarios in which church folk could not get along. I mean, we all have have attended or can think of a church that split or had issues over music or a pulpit or the carpet color or style of preaching or something or another 
because we have disunity because that's just who we are. Many of you in this church can look back at North Lincoln over the years and, and, and you see fond spirit-filled memories. And from what I've been here and known, and that's awesome. Like I believe that to be true. I've heard so many things of, of things that, have, that transpired at the old building to, to then things that have happened in this building, in this room. But for people who have been here a long time, there are also many of you that look back at a few seasons of disunity, times of tears and of heartache. But even outside of the, of the church body, you and your life in this past year, as individuals, how many of us have fallen into this principle or, or this idea of having disunity? How many of you in your friendships or your relationships or your family or even on your social media, how many of us would be known for the disunity that we bring to situations? It's been a tough year. I get it. People are on edge. Again, everybody in here could probably say that they had a very heated conversation with somebody about a mask over the last 365 days. And if I had told you that at the end of 2019, that you know what your biggest spout this year is going to be? A mask. You'd have thought I was crazy. You'd thought I was off my rocker. But few things hinder the cause of Christ more than believers that can't get along. Now, I want to make sure we, we get that. Few things take away from the cause and the name of Christ more than believers who can't get along. Because you know what the world says? Well, the world says I'm supposed to be different, but all those church folks aren't getting along, so why in the world would I go there? Why in the world would I listen to what they have to say? Few things hinder the cause of Christ, the image of Christ in your life, more than church folk who can't get along. The church may have to work and work and work to publicize all the good things that, that we would do here at North Glencoe. But if one bad thing's happened, guess what everybody in the county knows? The bad things that happen, man, it's how it works. And Paul shows this, this specific example, the church at Philippi, but the application is the same for us today. That we cannot let, and I don't know what Euodia and Syndicate's disagreement was, but I know what church people's disagreement was or disagreements are. And so as a church, we cannot let pettiness or different opinions or disagreements destroy our witness to a world that needs to see peace and love and unity. And most importantly, they need to see Jesus. Church, I believe that we must be a unified example of Christ to the world. We may not agree on everything. You may really like this carpet and somebody else may really not like the carpet. I don't know. I mean, whatever you want to argue on, we'll figure a way to argue about it. So we may not agree on everything, but we must agree on one thing, and that is that the cause of Christ comes first. And ideas and opinions fall somewhere else after that. And so Paul tells us to stand firm. Paul tells us to, to, to be unified. And then Paul says in verses four through seven, he says, be joyful. Now I want us to know the context of this. Paul is saying, be joyful. And guess where Paul's at? As often as Paul is, Paul's in prison. Paul is saying, have joy in your life, and Paul is in prison. And, and not, not our kind of fancy, you know, four walls and a bed and toilet kind of prison. Paul's in Roman prison. This is not a fun place. This is not a great place. But yet Paul is stressing to his fellow believers, he's telling them to be joyful. And Paul gives the reason for the joy in the life of a believer, and he says that that's Christ. Now, he's not saying to have some sort of happy optimism because happy optimism, guess what, goes away. Again, at the beginning of 2020, we were all happy and optimistic. But a lot of us, through what's happened last year, may not be super happy and may not have 
a lot of optimism, but we can't, what we can have is the joy of the Lord. There's a big difference between those few things. And as you read the entire letter of Paul, he kind of gives like an outline of, of, what, of where he gets his joy. He gets his joy from the cause of Christ. You see that in chapter one. Uh, getting to know Jesus and the character of Christ is what Paul talks about in chapter two. Understanding Christ, like knowing what Jesus did for us on the cross. So that Paul says in chapter three, verse 10, so that I may know him because the greater our knowledge of Jesus, the greater our joy is in him in the compassion of Christ, seeing that the peace in our life is found in him. And if we pursue these things in our life, the joy will be constant in our life. But in verse six, and man, this hits home, in all throughout this year, in my life, in a lot of our lives, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, be by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, letting your requests be made known unto God. I believe very strongly that Paul knows what almost always steals our joy. Again, in verse four, Paul says rejoice, and then he follows up with rejoice and don't be anxious about anything. Paul knows that fear, that anxiety, that worry always steals your joy. This is that, that, that this anxiety that steals your do, joy, what does Paul say to do with it? He says, bring it to God in prayer. That, that child that you worry about, bring him or her to God in prayer. That job situation that you're stressed out about, bring it to God in prayer. That relationship, that hurt, that bill, that doctor's visit, that question mark, whatever that looks like in your life, that this period of waiting in your life, this period of whatever is going on in your life that is eating you alive with worry that we're letting the enemy hold us down with, Paul says, rejoice and bring it to the Father in prayer. He's saying, don't worry about it, but let it be made known unto God. And you're saying, like people, when you talk about how worried you are, and you say, oh, just don't worry about it. Like, I hate people telling me that, because it's not that easy. It's not that simple. Just, you just stop worrying about all that. Well, it's not, like, it feels like it's in my DNA to worry. I feel like the enemy uses that against us. The, the enemy uses that against me to rob my joy of who Jesus is. But I need to hear the word and the truth of Paul this morning who says, Rejoice in the Lord and bring everything to God in prayer. Because verse seven is very true. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The lack of joy in a Christian's life, I believe, is the result of either standing still at the end of a service and refusing to let God draw you near to him, or we actually come to the front and lay down our burdens, but then we stand up and grab them on the way back to our seats. I remember when, I was, when God was first calling me into ministry. I was 18, 18 years old. I was at Dwight Baptist Church. The student pastor there uh, was, was, working in my, was working on me and was praying over me, and God was constantly working on something in my life. And I knew what it was. I knew that God was calling me to ministry, but constantly because of, of the, the turmoil that was in my life or the pain or the, or the hurt, man, I knew God could deal with it. Like we all know in this room, man, God can deal with it because he's, he's God. But at every, in every worship service or moment, like I knew God was calling me to something. He was calling me to give that hurt to him, but you know what? I wouldn't because the longer I held on to that hurt, the more I would worry about it. And the more I'd worry about it, the less joy I had in my life. 
But we don't have to have that inner struggle this morning. I wish someone had looked at me in the face and said, Matt, it's not, it's not as easy as it sounds, but lay that at the feet of Jesus. Lay that at the cross. Because we don't have to have that struggle this morning. Paul says we have an opportunity to make our requests made known unto God. God already knows them, but we can bring our heart's desires and hurts and pains to our king and let him deal with, him, let him deal with them as he sees fit. Holding on to whatever it is that is robbing you of joy today is not the desire of God in your life. Now, that's not saying God wants you to be happy and as, Paul, as Tom says, have a horse, a truck, and a pony or whatever. That's not what Paul's saying. But Paul's saying knowing Jesus, knowing Christ, having the peace of God in your life, not worrying about things brings you peace and joy. God's desire is that at the end of this service, at the end of every day or, or, or whatever, that, that you make all your worries, you make your heart's desires known to your Father. Why? As the end of verse 7 says, He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He's offering you this, but we've got to let Him, we had to give Him the reins and let Him take control of our lives. The answer to anxiety is the peace of God. And so Paul's told us to stand firm. He's told us to have unity within our church, within our lives. He's told us to be joyful. And in verses eight through nine, Paul says, be focused. These things, which I'm going to read in a second, Paul would say are the fruit and the food of the mind that is guarded by the peace of God. Remember, again, end of verse seven said, if you do this in your heart, make these things known unto God, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And these things are the things we can focus on to have our hearts and minds guarded. Verses eight through nine, Paul says this. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Today, some of you may be in this room and you need to get rid of months and year or a years long of hurt and heartache. Some may lay down grudges or anger that you have had as someone in this church or in your family or workplace. As our worship band starts to come up as I'm closing. Again, this is not going to be something that I sit up here and rambled forever because I'm just trying to get past the test. I'm just trying to fill out the answers that I know and turn it back in. But for us to be focused, some of you today may need to find the true joy of Jesus in your life. If that happens, we must leave here focused. Like it's something to say, oh, I'm laying down my worries. I'm casting all my anxiety upon him. I'm doing all these things. But when I leave this room and I face those same things that give me worry and give me anxiety and stress me out, or, or I face these same things that want to make me waver in my faith, or, or, I, or I face these things that, that want to cause me disunity and make me act out and, and, and tear other people down, what am I supposed to focus on? Because again, it's not as simple as, hey, don't worry, or have joy, or have a good attitude. Like, I can sit here, and we can all say those things, and if you've had kids, which I don't, but I am a kid, you tell your kids that, and you tell them the right things, guess what they do? Not the right things. We can say all the right things, and, and say the, the good things you put on a t-shirt or a coffee cup, but Paul actually goes a further step and says, okay, these are the things you're supposed to do, and this is what you can focus on. This is how we can transform our minds to see these are the things that we can focus on to set ourselves up for the future. 
Paul says, focus on what is true. Focus on these things that correspond with God's word. Focus on the word of God. Paul says, focus on what is honorable. He says, focus on those things that have the dignity of moral excellence. Focus on doing the right thing. That's essentially what Paul is saying. Paul says, focus on what is just. Focus on things that conform to God's standards. Paul says, focus on what is pure. Focus on the things that are free from the stain of sin. Paul says, focus on what is lovely. Focus on the things, the virtues that make believers, that makes believers' life a life that gives life to other people. Such as generosity or kindness or compassion or, or a willingness to forgive others. Paul says, focus on those things that are lovely, that are full of love. And then Paul says, focus on what is commendable. The things that give Christians a good reputation and a good name. And it's not about your reputation or your good name, but it's about the reputation of Christ in your life and the name of Christ in your life. Church, if we leave this building firm in Christ and unified and full of joy and focused in, in, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of a whatever is going on in your life, it will change the life of our community and change the life of people in your family. But we must be willing to see which of these steps or which one of these things God is working in our hearts about today. Church, I, I'm just going to ask you, this is between you and the Holy Spirit and moving in your life. But what would it say to a secular world, to a world that is broken, to a world that is hurting more than it ever has in the history of time? There's conflict everywhere you turn, from a mask to racial divides and everything in between. What would it say to a world that a body of people have come together and said that no matter what the enemy throws our way, that no matter how often we fall, no matter how difficult the pain may, be, pain may become, that we as North Clinko, we as the body of Christ, are going to be a church that stands firm in our Savior, that are going to be a church that is unified in our Savior, a church that, is, that, has, that, that, that just is full of the joy of the Lord, and a church that is focused on serving God's people this year. And let's hit a little closer to home here. More than just the church, what about you as the individual? What would it say about your life? What would it say about your king if we took these truths and examined our life over the past year and asked yourself, has my life been a life that reflects these truths this year? Has my life been a life that's full of joy? Has my life been a life that was that, that, that when things happened that I stood firm in the name of Jesus? When my, when my life got hard, did, did I tear other people down or, or did I bring unity to people in relationships? Or, or, or when I was distracted and things went, things went bad, did I focus on things that, these things that Paul was talking about? Church, our future can be bright in 2021. Our future can be bright tomorrow. It can be bright because Jesus is who Jesus is. But we have to make the decision to flip the narrative. Sin and worry and division will not be the themes that highlight my 2021. Sin and worry and division 
have, have held on to my life and the life of the people that I love for as long as, as, as sin has existed. And the same thing can be true about your life. Sin and worry and division is not going to be prevalent in my life. And I'm going to do my best. It's not a resolution. It's not because my resolution, if I do resolutions, it'll stop next week. It'll stop tomorrow. I want to get to 2021. But I look at this truth that Paul gives us this morning. Now look at the worry that happens in my life and the worry that's in our world. And look at the, the distractions that we have. And Paul says, be focused on these things. Paul says, rejoice in who Jesus is. Paul says, don't worry, bring it to Jesus. And so church this morning, for your life, for the sake of our church, if we are to be who God has called us to be as believers, if we are to be as God has called us to be as a church, as a body of believers in Glencoe, then guess what has to happen? I hope that we can flip the narrative that 2020 has brought us, the narrative of sin and division and worry in our lives. And I pray that this morning that we will stand firm in the cause of Christ, that, that we will find joy in who Jesus is, that we will not, that we will bring unity in our church and our relationships and our friendships, and that we will be focused on who Jesus is, that we will be focused on the attributes and the traits of Jesus and the things that he brings us. And church, this was just as much, if anything, this was for me. Because I needed direction this morning. I needed to know what to do in the next year. Because this last year has been a sham. And I have no idea how we got to where we're at. But I know through the truth of the word of God, I know where we can go. So church, this altar is open. Church, you can pray where you're at, wear your mask, do whatever it is that you've got to do. But church, I pray that you will look at your life and say, God, in 2021, this is what it's going to look like. Because we don't know what's going to happen in the next year. It could all end tomorrow. And you know what? That's okay. Because I know who Jesus is. Because I know where my joy comes from. I know what I'm going to focus on. And I'm going to stand firm in who Jesus is. Church, I pray that these are just a few truths that we can look at our lives and say 2021 is going to be different, not because I'm better, not because I'm good, not because I can change really anything, but because Jesus can change everything. Father God, God, we are a people who are hurting. God, we are a people who are broken. But God, we thank you for your truth this morning. We thank you for your word. God, thank you for what Paul wrote. And Paul says that God, if we stand firm in you, God, if we stand unified in you, God, if we have the joy of the Lord in our life, God, if we stay focused on the things, we focus on things above and not of things of this world, that God, it's not gonna be perfect. Everything's not gonna get worked out. But God, that we can set ourselves up for a future, for a year that is rooted in you. God, I pray that's our heart for our church. That's our heart for our lives of believers. That no matter what comes our way, no matter what the enemy throws our way this year, because God, it seems like he's been really successful in 2020. God, I pray in 2021, you will bind up the darts of the enemy. God, that we will stand firm in you 
that we will stand unified in you, that we will have our lives filled with the joy of the Lord and that we will focus on the things above. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves in this place, that we respond however your word has moved in our hearts to respond today. God, we love you. It's things we ask in your name, amen.